Hello, and welcome to Where Am I To Go podcast. Today, before we start the show, I would like to bring up some business things that have kind of been on my mind so that you can know where to get more Where Am I To Go. First off, I'd like to talk about the Facebook page at Where Am I To Go podcast. It's on Facebook, and we've been posting some wonderful pictures of some of the places that we've been and some of the adventures that we've had. Not everything that we go and do is made into a podcast, and so we take pictures at different places and post those pictures so that you guys can enjoy some of the different places we've been. Also, I really am interested in listener feedback. I have an email address at whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. Again, that is whereamitogopodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear some of the listeners' comments and some of their ideas of places that might be interesting to visit and go and do. Today we were driving along the Gulf Coast in Florida, and as we were driving along, we came to a town called Carabella. It is a cool little town right here on the coast, uh, kind of south of Tallahassee. And as we were driving through, like I said, the town's a cute little town. We ended up at a uh, uh, lighthouse that they have restored that has 138 steps that you can climb to get up to the top. You can look out, you can actually climb up this thing uh, through the spiral staircase and get to the top, but as we drove out, I noticed that there was a museum here that is called the Camp Gordon Johnston World War II Museum. And this, uh, from what I kind of gathered, is where they train troops uh, for shore landings. And I am here with Lisa, and she is going to take us through this museum and show us what all she has. This museum looks like it has a ton of stuff. And I'm excited to see this, Lisa. Let's let's take a look at what you got. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Carabella first? Carabella is a former uh, logging and fishing town um, that was established in the late 19th century. And uh, it was the place where the U.S. Army established a amphibious training center or camp uh, in 1942. And the purpose of the camp was to train primarily infantry for amphibious landing. Um, so when they got to uh, both the Pacific and the European theaters, or even in the African theater, that they could move troops from ship to shore um, and land them under combat conditions. Um, the camp actually went through three phases, 1942 to 43. They trained infantry and uh, engineer special brigades uh, for amphibious landings. Then they switched over to a special services camp where they trained port construction, harbor craft, and uh, salvage groups along with amphibious truck companies. And at the end of the war, it served as a separation center for the southeast region. So uh, troops of all types coming back were separated out through this camp. And the camp closed in 1946. Okay. And, and when you're talking about the amphibious landing craft, you're talking about the ones that you see on the D-Day invasion that have the front uh, panel that drops down and has a ramp so that the 
soldiers or the infantry can, can run ashore. Right. Amphibious means that they move from water to land. And for infantry, that means departing from a ship onto landing craft and then onto the shore in a combat situation. Um, there are also amphibious vehicles, and some of those were here as well. But at least in, in the terms of training infantry, amphibious means cart them by ship, put them in landing craft like the Higgins boat, and then put them ashore under combat conditions. And where did they carry these boats? Were these carried on the ship, or did these also come across the ocean oh, with no. the fleet? These were carried on the ships. And how many, how many of these landing crafts would a ship carry? Oh gosh, I have no idea, but I bet it's quite a few. And, and then how many men could you put on one of these? I mean, when I see the pictures of like the D-Day invasions and stuff, it looks like you've got a hundred men crammed into this boat, all like in a cattle car. Well, there are various kinds of landing craft. A Higgins boat is the, the smallest, and it carries. If I, I'll have to check the the placard, but um, it carries thirty six uh, uh, troop. But there are also uh, landing craft mechanized, which will carry vehicles. And then there is the landing craft infantry, which is a much larger. That is actually a ship and can actually make a crossing um, uh, on the ocean. But those were not used here. Okay. Um, just the so landing craft mechanized. So the one that carried 38 men at 36 a time. 36 men at a time. 36, right. okay. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. So they, they're quite a bit smaller than, I guess, the ones that I, that I think I've seen. Or else, <laughs> or else the picture makes it look like there's a whole lot more. Yeah, this is a half-scale Higgins okay. boat, LCVP. And so they were close to... 40 feet long, this is only 20, and, um, and they uh, would allow 36 men to land on a beach or in shallow water, and then the coxswain who is operating the boat can back off the beach right. after the ramp is back up and go back to the ship for another load. Okay. And this is kind of the centerpiece of your museum, this 20-foot this scaled, half-scale model. Well, yes and no. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting scale model. The problem is, is that they were not made to keep, so there are not very many original Higgins boats left. Oh, there really? are a few scattered throughout the country, some of which are reproductions, uh, but the ones that were actually used in the war generally were discarded, taken up by the, the people who lived in the area as fishing boats or the like, or broken down and used for parts. So um, finding an original Higgins boat is a, a true treat. You don't see those very often. So um, this is our, our model, and um, it will go with our other vehicles in our new building, which will be built shortly. Well, um, you guys are in the process of building a, a bigger Right. We, we own three vehicles. We own a, um, a Willis Jeep, a Lieferwagen reproduction, and an original duck or okay. um, uh, amphibious truck. Duck. And, and the ducks are the ones that you see like in Boston where they're taking you out on little river tours. Or they're very town. similar to those. They've got wheels on them and they can manipulate yeah. them through traffic right. and all of that kind of stuff. They're true amphibious vehicles. Right. They, they can go land on both land and water. water. Yes. Uh-huh. So those cannot be kept on site because we don't have a building for them, but that you can see outside right. there. We have the, the footprint laid out for a building that's going to be um, it's going to be constructed soon so we can move our vehicles onto site and have them on display here. Well, that's really um, cool. Yeah, and this That'll will be go nice. in there. Yeah. This museum's a little bit small or compact. Uh, it'll be <laughs> nice when you have the, the bigger facility. Oh, yes, absolutely, yeah. 
And so this was an actual training site where they trained the troops to be able to run off the end of the boat or, or well, the land, or, or what all were they trained They were for? trained in all sorts of uh, combat situations. The camp itself was not here. It began at the town of Carabel and went east all the way to Alligator Point and wow. went north, taking up pretty much all within the Franklin County. Uh, and that camp, well, I'd say a quarter of a million troops passed through that camp. The camp itself was 165,000 acres. So it I was, was going to say, that's huge. big. Just driving from Alligator Point right. to here was, was quite a distance. Exactly. So when the infantry came, they were sort of in their final stages of training. So they were learning sort of the final steps of combat training. And they also learned how to disembark from a ship down into the landing craft. And when they land, how to disperse and to set up, um, you know, their ammunition dumps and their supply dumps and secure a beachhead so that then more troops and more material can, can arrive. So they practiced that, and they practiced it right out here. We have photographs of LCMs and LCVPs landing on this very beach right across the street, which wow. is really cool. Well, that's really cool. <laughs> and this is a real neat area. I mean, the beach, I think we're sitting at high tide, so there's not a lot of area between the beach and, right. and the grass and the highway and all that. It's kind of what I'm assuming, but I'm assuming at low tide there's quite a bit more beach. There's a bit more, a bit more, not that much. Really. There mm. used to be a lot more beach before erosion from storms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We tend to lose the big dune line and big storm, and it takes a while for it to build build back up again. So. Okay. Yeah. Well, as we come in here, we okay. got some different glass cases that have lots of different artifacts in them. Let's kind of talk about some of the okay. things that you've got. Well, in general, we start the the tour. If you know you. Right. Take yourself on a tour with general information about the camp, and we have a rotating, usually one month to six weeks, special exhibit. So this month's exhibit is about the Battle of Okinawa, and we have on display items from the Marine Corps, which we've recently received, and information about the Battle of Okinawa. Next month, uh, starting on the 15th, we'll switch over to an exhibit on D-Day and focusing especially on uh, Theodore Roosevelt Jr., who landed on Utah Beach at D-Day with the 4th Infantry. The 4th Infantry okay. Division was one of the three divisions that trained here at Camp Gordon Johnston before being deployed overseas. Okay. So um, so we'll, our special exhibit will be here. In July, um, it will roll over to an exhibit on the Holocaust, which we're doing jointly with a group in Tallahassee. Okay, um, and, in, and in this one, for this month, you've got lots Okinawa. of different pictures of the different generals that mm -hmm. were involved. You've got a Japanese flag, a samurai sword, uh, lots of different helmets, and, and some of that kind of stuff from Okinawa. Yeah. We're going to eventually put together a permanent Marine Corps display in this back room here. And we're putting these on special display now, and then we'll transition them over. Okay, and then we, we also have a glass case here at the at, right at the entry that's uh, the Battlefield Cross. It's yes. got the, uh, I'm assuming that's the M14. Uh, kind of stuck in the sand between a couple of boots with American flag and a helmet on top. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. That's a nice one. It is. Very nice <laughs> display. And then we come on around here. This is a, an exhibit on D-Day itself, which, you know, when you read the historical markers outside, they mention D-Day, and that really was sort of the primary uh, effort, even though amphibious landings were done by troops from Camp Gordon-Johnston in Africa and in um, 
um, in the in the Pacific. So, but we have our own exhibit that is about D-Day, and the thing that's really neat about this exhibit is this diorama that feeds into a photograph taken right across the street. You can see the lighthouse, right. okay? okay? And this was a practice landing, um, and all the big brass came to see it, and they had barrage balloons, and they had LCBPs, and they had LCMs landing, and so that's really kind of fun because, you know, you're this is what it looked like right all that here. many years ago. It was right outside the door, really, across the street. So um, they, one of the interesting things that we have is a, an original um, copy of Operation Neptune. Um, that was, this was one of the final versions that came out in, about six weeks before the Normandy landing. Oh, and wow. this was uh, in the possession of a, of a um, Coast Guard officer in St. Petersburg and was donated to us at the time of his death. And so this is an extraordinarily rare artifact. And really it says top secret right at the yes. top. <laughs> then top it has secret. Operation Neptune. This this book is is probably uh, eight inches wide, 12 inches long, and it is like four or five inches thick. All the details of Operation Neptune. Um, you wow. know, what, what ships were involved, what landing craft were involved. And, you know what troops were involved. It's really, really very interesting. Um, the uh, model that you see above your head okay. is a radio-controlled model, um, and it is a model of the Tallahassee Lassie. Uh, the pilot, um, uh, who was Ralph Jenkins, he met his wife when he was training at Dale Mabry Field, and uh, so all the planes he flew, and he had six versions of it, were always named after her. The Tallahassee Lassie, and this uh, remote control plane was donated to us after the uh, maker of it, Mike Kinsey of Monticello, passed away. His family donated it uh, to us. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. And it yeah. has. He and was it's got the Tallahassee Lassie in her bikini, sitting on a <laughs> on a. I don't know what that is. It's yeah. probably an inner tube or a cushion or something. Well, and this plane, the Tall the true Tallahassee Lassie, participated in the Normandy invasion. So he's the invasion stripes on the okay. underside, um, wow. which is also described in that, um, that plan. Okay. It's pretty neat. Over here uh, is a mock-up of the barracks from Camp Gordon Johnson. Very few of these barracks are left at the end of the war. They just simply sold them all off whole or piecemeal. The barracks were unpleasant. Most of them had sand floors, uh, and they were cold in the winter and hot in the summer and buggy. Um, it was not the best <laughs> conditions. You had sand absolutely everywhere. everywhere yes, these yeah. bunks, the lockers, the screen doors, the windows, the stove, and the coal bin are all original from the camp itself. And uh, so, um, the the conditions in Carabelle at this camp were so bad. Um, Omar Bradley was uh, commander of the 28th Infantry Division, which trained here. He was, he was promoted away from that division later after he, they left here, but he said, whoever chose this place to build a camp should be court-martialed. <laughs> and you've got a record player and, oh, yeah. and some other neat things in here. This is really cool. You've got the bunk beds. I'll bet those beds were just full of sand oh. and gritty to sleep on. I'll bet your socks and your, your toes were, were not comfortable after a couple days. 
And then they've got it set up to where they've kind of got a little walkway made out of pallet pieces or uh, little one by fours that uh, to try and keep some of the sand off. Yeah. I can't believe that they'd have sand in a in a bunk floor. Yeah, well, actually, I mean, there was just... even a gap. I mean, you can see it in this photo here. See oh, the yeah. Gaps? You know, and it's elevated it's so elevated. that the wind could blow through and, and I guess it would clean your, your uh, bunkhouse every once in a while when the wind blew through. But <laughs> who wants to uh, just replace the sand? Wow. There were several medical units that trained here along with some Red Cross nurses and um, other groups. And so we do have a fairly large collection of medical um equipment devices that kind of thing uh and that's displayed here and in again this, this is room. a really mm -hmm. neat display you've got a snake bite kit <laughs> and a little first aid kit uh an atomizer some medical spoons stethoscopes and all of it is military issue i mean you've got them in the military bags and and all of that kind uh, of stuff field first aid kit field surgical kit right um yeah that is that is really neat and there's more um of that equipment in here as well <clears throat> the stretchers if you've ever seen the um the mini series the pacific this is the kind of stretchers that the mortar okay. teams would carry right. and bring their wounded out um we have uh, several of those and uh, you got a guy on a on a bunk with yeah. his head all bandaged <laughs> up and just some really neat display here and you got a uh, display with a whole bunch of different metals in here. This is um, a display about uh, a young girl whose father was brought down from Tallahassee to run the um, post office on the camp. And okay. she was in the first, second grade and she had come down and go to school here in Carabell. And we have letters written to her by her classmates in Tallahassee saying, we miss you, we hope you're going to come back soon. <laughs> But this has a very important little um, item in it. She was walking along the road, and a man in a Jeep drove up and said, can I give you a ride? And she said, my father doesn't let me ride in Jeeps with men that I don't know, which is only seven years old. And uh, he went on, he knew who she was. He went on to the post office, and he commended her father for bringing up such a a thoughtful and obedient child and said, listen, I'm going to have to inspect the camp in a few days. I would like your daughter to ride with me on that inspection. So he took her around the camp, went through that whole uh, inspection process. And at the end of the day, he ripped off his 28th Infantry bloody bucket patch and he gave that to her. That was the first patch she collected. She went on to collect patches oh, from the soldiers wow. during the separation. And her collection is here with us, including that was Omar Bradley's actual patch off of his uniform. Wow. Isn't that a neat story? That is a neat story. Yes. Mm -hmm. Those are the kind of stories I like. <laughs> <laughs> then you've got a display over here with a oh, bunch yeah. of dog tags in it. Well, since this was such a large camp, people are always finding things in homes or in the ground or, you know, um, in buildings, and they donate them. So a lot okay. of the stuff you see here was found in Lanark Village where, you know, people live today. Um, or stuff that they found in their homes that, you know, they, at the end of the war, they didn't right. keep much. They just sort of gave it away. And so they've brought us these items, um, an original uh, uh, Camp Gordon Johnston 
license, license plate. plate. It used to be they yeah. would put specific license plates for military installations. Okay. And we have uh, postcards from the area on souvenirs from McCullough Springs, that kind of thing. Just lots of really cool little yeah. artifacts. In here, oh, wow. because of COVID, we haven't been able to use our theater, so we just sort of opened it up as, a, a, as an exhibit. We think about Normandy when we think about amphibious landings, but the fact was, long before D-Day, Camp Gordon-Johnston trained soldiers were already at work in the Pacific. And they landed in Australia, in Queensland, and started moving and taking beaches all the way up through New Guinea and the Solomons and the Bismarcks. And so um, the, uh, the six special uh, engineer special brigades, the second, third, and fourth, trained here, and they were the ones who went through the Southwest Pacific and up into the Philippines. And okay. so we wanted to make sure we covered them uh, here. And we do have some uh, artifacts from members of different units that actually went to the Pacific rather than to Normandy. Um, and the 38th Infantry, and we talked about the 4th and the 28th, the 38th Infantry trained here as well. And they went straight to the Pacific starting in... Oh, wow. uh, in the Philippines, and so we have stuff about the 38th as well. So, um, so this has become sort of our Pacific room. It's going to be a little awkward when we turn it back into a theater, but hopefully the You'll new building will be, and so we'll be able to move and move that out and put it out there where it'll have more space. We're going to leave our our mother and girlfriend and sister pillows. This was a wonderful program that was started in 1917. People who were in the military could buy these and ship them home. And uh, so we have a couple of really extraordinarily unusual ones. I believe we've Can got... I, let, me, let me stop here because uh -huh. this is something I've never heard anything Oh, yeah. <laughs> And so I, I want to go into this a little bit yeah. more in depth. We're looking at a whole bunch of... Uh, they look like silk uh, pillow covers. The pillow covers, yeah. And... They've got the different camps. They've got mother. My fondness and love for you is overflowing as year after year it keeps on growing. United States Army, Camp Gordon Johnson, Florida, uh, U.S. Army, sweetheart. Uh, oh, I can't see what this says. A heap of remembering, sweetheart. Uh, I, I can't read that one because it's kind of folded a little bit. But these things are really cool looking. And so now the, the soldiers would buy these? They could buy them at the camp exchange. These were even sold by members of the Conservation Corps uh, before oh, the, the war. Mm -hmm. Yes, but they were available during World War I all the way to the end of World War II. And you could buy them on the camp, and they usually had the name of the camp on it. So we've, okay. we've got some from, well, this one's from Dale Mabry, as you can see. This right, one is from the Navy, okay? But okay. they trained here too, so we've got... Um, Camp Gordon Johnston, Camp Gordon Johnston Army, and a really unusual one, which is when it was first called Camp Carabelle right at the beginning, and that okay. only lasted a few months, so this is a, a rather um, rare one. Um, and this one says, oh, the world is wide and the world is grand and there's little or nothing new, but the sweetest thing is the grip of the hand of the friend that's tried and true. Isn't that lovely? And these, these pillow coverings are, they're, they're probably 18 inches square. They've got uh, fringe all the way around them. And I think Linda's probably got a picture. We'll post it to our Facebook page. 
at Where Am I To Go Podcast uh, on Facebook. And we post pictures of, of lots of different things that we do there. But this is just... Okay, so now they would have them stuffed at the commissary too, or they would um, send them most home. Most of the time, they send them home empty, and then that would be something that the young lady would do when it arrived home. Go so ahead and stuff it, and then right. finish it out. Mm -hmm. And we have one in there that has uh, its original mailing envelope with it, so you really? can see how it was shipped. And so at the commissary, you'd buy the envelope for these things also. Right. Mm -hmm. This is really interesting. Right I had I had no clue that that. There were pillows. I've never seen this anywhere I've been. Let's wow. see, there's the, the little envelope to go with it. Yep. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that neat? It, that is really, really cool. <laughs> it's right down here on the end in the, in the case. We try to tell personal stories. Sometimes they don't have anything to do with Camp Gordon Johnston, but this is a particularly nice combination. There's a local man whose father was in the Navy and uh, worked on a submarine in World War II and his grandfather was in the, um, he was in Mexico and then got pulled out of Mexico, he was with Pershing, to go to World War One. and we have wow. the effects of both of them oh. side by side. Isn't that neat? Yeah, you've got a sword in here, mm -hmm. probably from uh, Mexico, you've got the World War One Iron Cross medal, you've got a cigarette lighter that looks like a torpedo. <laughs> You've got a horsehair lariat, and then moving on over into the World War II, you've got a submarine pin with a patrol star, you've got an Navy issue knife, you've got a laminated card, you've got a watch, several pictures, a face mask for standing watch on the conning tower while cruising on the surface. This is wool, and it's got eye holes and a nose covering, and it looks like a leather piece over the mouth. And then a strap that goes over your head so you can wear it underneath your, your cap. Yeah, watch cap, probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, yeah, it's wool. That is just, that's really neat. It's kind of like the modern-day snow machine masks, all except in World War II. Two, yeah. And it's, it's in pristine condition, like it was never used. Yes. Uh, wow, I've never fun. seen one of those either. Not that I've <laughs> seen everything that there is to see by a long shot. These are some of our older displays, gradually updating displays. But um, this is about religion, and this is particularly cute because you know we have we have um, church bulletins and hymnals and New Testaments and prayer books and I think. But just a couple months ago, a young man came while he was at the. RV Beach Resort, and they gave him a little soldier before he came over here to visit the museum. And he wanted to donate that soldier as a reminder to say a prayer for all servicemen. So we put it inside the display. Okay. Isn't that That's sweet? Cool. Yeah, and like you said, you've got little military uh, New Testaments and scripture books and uh, song books, it looks maybe a song mm -hmm, book. A song book. And mm -hmm. just a lot of, the, and those were just designed to fit in the, the army pocket right. i mean they're small. carried them with them mm -hmm. and i don't know if they came with a looking glass or not that enlarged it because <laughs> reading, that, yes. reading that would be <laughs> awful tough camp gordon johnson had italian and german prisoners of war oh, did like they? so many of the camps and that uh, really is something that i've kind of learned just mm -hmm. recently we mm -hmm. had one in wyoming that's where we're from <gasps> oh okay and they had uh, camp douglas and we went and did a podcast yeah. uh, where they talked a little bit about the prisoner of war museum there mm -hmm. and again they had the italian and the germans right but it seems like these camps were kind of all over the u.s they there were, were lots but there were a lot of them in florida and the reason why is because we had a large amount of lumber 
and agriculture. And okay. so it was very easy to put these men to work. And so they did work. And although we don't yet have really much of a list of who was here, which is unfortunate, but there was a quarter of a million, well, no, I think there was half a million German POWs all wow. over the United States. But we hope that if we are given access to the original files, we might be able to get some more names. But we do have one very important one. This man, Herman Blumhardt, was in the Africa Corps, and he, he was here as a POW. And when he, he went back home at the end of the war, and then he immigrated, and he lived in Michigan for years, and then he started coming down here for reunions. Okay. And reunions of the troops that trained here. But he was much beloved, uh, and was a, um, he was an inspirational speaker, and a motivational speaker, and uh, he um, died just... Well, I guess, I don't know, I guess he died maybe um, a, f a few years ago. And he uh, donated all his, yeah, he donated all his effects. And so he, I've seen some films of him. We've got some film in our archives. And he just was a delightful human being. Played the accordion and loved to dance and just, just loved life. He was such a neat person. So I wish I could have met him in person. He was really something. Um, that is, that's really cool. He was very close to having been sent to a POW camp in uh, Soviet Union because his mm. first, first time in war was actually on the Eastern Front, and then he was moved to the Africa Corps. And he was very, very fortunate to have been taken by the Americans rather than by the... Uh, um, by the Soviets. See, and the other one that we did, Camp Douglas, they were they were from the African yeah, Africa uh, African yeah. Front, mm -hmm. and it was mostly the German and the Italian, just yeah. mm -hmm. basically the same story. Right. Well, back then we didn't have we didn't have control over any places in Europe to hold prisoners of war. The only thing you really can do with them is to send them home. Right. So that's why they all ended up here. Um, now, wow. one of the things that was at this camp was a huge amount of ordinance that was used in training. And yes, they tried to get in there and clean it all up. Some of it, they've had several passes through where they went in and, and found old ordinance. And, and, um, and of course, they, they render it neutral. And right. we ended up with a collection of it here. Uh, but we try to make sure that everybody knows that if you ever see anything like this out there, that you not touch it and you call the sheriff's department. They will bring um, ordinance uh, disposal people in, right. and this is all. This too, yes. They've yeah. got they've got anti-tank vehicle mm -hmm. or anti-vehicle landmines. They've got some mortar shells. They've got some grenades. They've got just lots of really cool dug-up stuff. Mm -hmm. Stuff that's just been found out in the woods. Um, right. And and people bring. I mean, some of the stuff. This was just donated. In twenty nineteen, mm -hmm. and it's a it's a canteen that somebody found. I'm sure that as a sea washes stuff away, you find all kinds of That's actually things. one place that people do find. Um, wow. One thing that's interesting about this area is that this camp was served by a railroad spur. This railroad, the Georgia, Florida, and Alabama Railroad, there's only a little bit left. I think it's from like Bainbridge to Cuthbert, Georgia. But the spur used to come all the way down from Tallahassee, and you can see it on this map. It crossed the Oclockney River. Okay. And then you can see the line where that railroad used to go. And it came into the camp and just came right across the north side of the camp and then right and stopped in Carabelle. And that, that railroad was there the turn of the um, 
century. And they tore it all out in 1948, so there's no railroad left. But you can you can get out there and you can actually find bits and pieces of it. Huh. Yeah, I would think that things would overgrow really fast here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> seems it just kind of seems like it's just right for right. leave a place abandoned for a week and it's and it's back to right. nature. Of course, no World War II museum is finished until you have all your war souvenirs. So right. we do have a lot of really neat war souvenirs. Um, there are weapons from the Axis and weapons, meaning also swords and um, knives and bayonets and rifles. We have a full display of the Japanese rifles. If you look over here, right. you have the 38 and the 44 carbine. But the Type 99 came in several types. This was the original. And those were Japanese. These rifles. were Japanese, right. This Type 99 was called the Last Ditch. They were making them at the end of the war. They didn't take the time to make them look pretty, you know, okay. with all the metal stuff right. and, the, and the like. And the, f the interesting thing is, is that these had a reputation for being no good to shoot, which was not true, because they look almost exactly like this Type 99, what's called a school rifle. It's a fake. And okay. it was used for the kids to drill in school. If you put a round in that, it would blow up in your face. But these were deadly accurate and very, very good weapons. So um, we also have this very unusual Type 2 paratroop rifle. You see it's yeah. in three parts. Um, that is cool. Isn't that neat? Yeah, it breaks yeah. apart right at uh, where the action ends. The barrel, it looks like, slides in and locks in yep. with the forearm uh, stock. Mm -hmm. So the stock comes in two different parts. It's got the full stock down the full mm -hmm. length of the barrel. And you must just snap it in together and then it's ready to go. And you can see, you see how shiny this is? Uh-huh. You don't, with paratroop, when you're landing, you don't want light reflecting right. off oh, of yeah. it. So it's so very dull. So that real dull finish. Mm -hmm. And then you've got a samurai sword and you've got one of the Japanese... Uh, Nambu. Mm -hmm. Nambu. Uh, pistols. Right. Now those were semi-automatic, weren't they? Yeah, ah, I'm sure. I yeah, so. yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah. It was a semi-automatic. Now, wow. over here, this um, we think is the first German or Nazi flag taken on German soil okay. by ground forces in wow. the war. Part of the um, the Fourth Infantry Division. Uh, included a man named Sammy Ray, and he was in the 337th, uh, what was that, the, oh, the anti-artillery, and they got, they got right up and crossed the Siegfried line, and they took a jeep and they just went tootling around. Of course, the Germans had right. left, and they found an abandoned schoolhouse, and this flag was in it, so they took the flag, and, but then, they were the first ground troops to cross the, the line, and then their commander said, ah, we got to go back into Belgium because they had overrun their, oh. their supply line. This is the beginning of the, you right. know, the, the Red Ball Express and everything. So they're like, doggone it, we just got here and now we're having to go back. But they brought the flag with them. And that, they wow. think, is the very first one. He donated it to the museum years ago. And, and then, so, of course, that's a Nazi flag yeah. with the swastika mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. all that. And then you've got a bunch of, uh, these, are, these are the German. German, Italian, two, one German, two Italian um, rifles, a German Mauser. And then and you've got several of the, of the pistols the that they yeah. used. Mm -hmm. Okay, now you've got a couple of uh, 
Japanese flags here, and this yeah. one's got all kinds of writing on it. Mm -hmm. What's the story with that? You, you know, as I understand it, the, the, now it's they not would... writing that we can read. No, <laughs> <laughs> it's written in Japanese. Oftentimes, so. when a soldier was heading out, that they would have family and friends write good luck messages on the flags. That's how. That's how I understand. You know. Okay. Um, and so we have one up there as well uh, oh, that yeah, we brought okay. back. This one is the Rising Sun. This is actually uh, more commonly used by the Navy. Okay. And so, and we have, we actually have one in the Okinawa. It's one about this big, and it was captured on Tarawa by two Marines from Florida. Okay. And we have the story about that with the flag uh, and their fo their photos. But we've got German helmets. We have. We right. have a, getting ready to renovate this area because we have a lot of new German uh, items that need to go in. So we're going to be shuffling things around and expanding this display. Um, but uh, there's some really cool and unusual things in here. We have a, a you've brand got, new. You've got the camera yeah. and some binoculars. Right. Canteen. The canteens are just fascinating. Look at that canteen. Pouches doesn't look like any other canteen. No, it doesn't. Isn't it? With a little cup on the top with the strap. Yeah, to where you could pour into the cup and, yeah. and drink. And it's also lined with some sort of a, I'm sure that that's I think a it's cooling, a wool, maybe. Yeah, yeah that you cooling. water down and, and probably would keep it a little bit cooler. That's yeah. really neat. Wow. Behind you, we have propaganda. And a lot of these are original copies of propaganda, including propaganda money that they would drop. It looked like money. Uh -huh. And then they would flip it over and it would be a propaganda oh. message. A lot of these are translated for us, and these which are, is neat. these ones are Japanese. This is Japanese, right? And then these ones over here this are is German. German. Now, it's propaganda dropped by the Germans on the Americans and by the Americans on the Germans. So it goes both directions. Same thing with the Japanese. Okay. Um, so you, know, you get a little bit of both. I was uh, going to say, I don't see any American propaganda, so we must not have been doing it. <laughs> no, we were doing it. <laughs> yeah, if it, if it was... Um, See, like Allied propaganda targeting German troops. Right. Okay. okay. Here is the original. This is just an image of the second side, and here's the translation. Same thing here. Okay. Okay. And uh, but then they did the same thing. Right. See, to the yeah. 82nd Airborne. Um, so, and then of course they had propaganda directed at their own population. You know. So, right. Um, All right, and the wow. back side of this is oh, yeah. uh, American weapons. At the beginning of the war, this is the rifle that they carried most often was the, the 1903 Springfield. But then as the war progressed and they issued um, the, the M1, M1 and the, the car. You hear a lot of the, the guys that use those M1 Grands, they really, really loved them. Yeah, no, it was really cool. And, and then the, the M1 British. carbine, and then the British Lee yeah. Enfield rifle. And then, of course, the Colt 911. <laughs> <laughs> yes, of <laughs> <The> semi-automatic <laughs> pistol, but they're, they're still making the 911s today. Yeah, yeah. So, very popular. Now, over here is uh, effects from... This was a, a man who was in the military. He was in an artillery unit in at Schofield in Honolulu. And he was brought over and uh, was... In an amphibious truck unit, but what makes him so amazing is that he saved everything. <laughs> it looks like it, <laughs> and really you know cool. it's just like a picture of life at that time, you know. And so most people would have thrown this stuff out. I mean, really, a hat check ticket, stub for riding the bus, <laughs> but and a dog chain, yeah, yeah. a dog tag yeah. chain with original right. envelope. So we and have gasoline ration card. 
Wow, permit for visitors to purchase cigarettes at the commissary. Mm -hmm. his, he moved here with his family, and uh, his daughter, who is in these pictures, she's the one that donated all this, and it's just fabulous. It was He was the one that collected that paratroop rifle, the one that comes apart in two pieces, so that was part uh -huh. of his collection. So, um, Wow. Yeah, it's pretty neat. This is really cool. Now, we did have African-American troops here. Um, we don't have as much information about them. They didn't really remember the war with the kind of nostalgia that the white troops did. They were poorly treated and relegated to awful tasks even when they were here. Um, but we do know of several amphibious truck units and uh, a couple other types of units that trained here, but we're still trying to learn more. We just were contacted by the daughter of a man who was an officer in one of these amphibious truck units, and he kept everything. So we think we may get a roster oh, for that cool. unit, which would be really nice. Yeah. Um, so, But we try to cover stuff about the desegregation of the various um, parts of the military. And as much as we can put together about African Americans here, it's not much, but you can find some things. And we're still looking, so... Now you've got a really cool picture here I'm looking at. Soldiers train in a mock landing craft before they begin to practice beach landing. Well, part so of the problem was they didn't have the Higgins boats yet. They were being built and they hadn't come yet, so they just... This is, this is a wooden crate box. It looks like it belongs on the back of a farm truck. And you've got 38 guys crammed inside this thing. And they've got it held up on the sides by uh, logs holding it together so that they don't push the sides out. <laughs> That's, that's really improvising. I'm sure they felt really well trained after being shoved in a box and well, told that they could get out. And here they're learning how to go down the nets, but it's on dry land. Right. You've got to figure out right. how to do that. So you might as well get all the skills done while you're still... And then another picture of them dragging a piece of heavy equipment out of the water. And these guys have got about 20 guys pulling on a rope to pull some sort of military craft out of the water. I wonder if it even ran when they got it ashore. <laughs> Huh. Yeah, this is really, really interesting. Okay, this is mostly American uh, equipment. We've got, you know, when they first started here, most of them were wearing this 1917 Brody helmet, just like they were carrying the 1903 Springfield rifle. Right. It was a long time later before they started getting the modern helmets and equipment. But they were still wearing, if you see this guy, um, yep. he's still wearing the, the, the putties over his boots right um and that was very common then you know just used a bunch of stuff they had for world war one um same thing with over here there's some kind of cool bits and Field pieces in this, and yeah. leggings. remember from and band of brother the the cricket clicker that the paratroopers right. carry well they've got one of those oh wow it's pretty neat they've got lots of lots of different things in here compass uh wrist wrist compass and some cameras just this museum has a lot for, a lot for of being stuff. i mean when you step in it's, it doesn't seem as big <laughs> but once you start walking around you've got it well, you've got a lot of stuff and it's all very nicely displayed well, thank you very well organized and, and mm -hmm. it's not like you're walking into a warehouse it's it's very well displayed and you can see all of the displays very well this is all mail we just recently up upgraded all of this so you see various examples of mail and personal letters and and the like um mail was extraordinarily important as you can imagine oh, to the, sure, to the yes. troops overseas um 
Because we are sort of the military museum of this area, we try to cover at least the local contributions to other wars. So I'm going to show you that. Um, and as we're walking over there, we walk past the TV that's got, uh, you were talking about the video footage on there and how excellent it was. And it is some of probably the clearest uh, mm. uh, World War II type video that I've exactly. seen. It's, it's, it's all really in black cool. and white, but but very, very clear and, and shows a lot of the vehicles landing and the troops coming off and, oh, yeah. and crawling through as mortar shells are landing in amongst them. <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool war footage. This covers um, everything from Civil War, a little bit, Spanish-American War, First World War, Korea, and the Gulf Wars. And okay. it's, you know, it's not very much space, so it's got a lot of stuff crammed into it. But we have a little bit from each of those wars. And we try, if we can, to put out on display things from local servicemen and women. Okay. Um, and so we do have um, at least some idea of who in the area um, participated in World War I in Korea. We have a wall of honor. This county lost three in World War I and two in Korea. So we make sure that they are um, remembered here. And right now I'm working on the list of all those people in this county that served in World War I. It was a lot more than I expected. Oh, I'll <laughs> so, bet. Yes. And what about World War II? We have a wall of honor. This is still under construction. We're trying okay. to find all of the county. Um, there were men. I was going to uh, say, you've got died. a lot more than, than three. Oh, yes, yes. Those are the ones that lost their lives in World War II. And I'm not finished. You see, I'm trying right. to keep up with that. And then we're, we had in the old museum a display that commemorated everybody in the county who participated in World War II and then came home. Those were badly faded, so they're down, and we're redoing those on the wall of the theater. And so we okay. only have about a dozen up so far, but there are many, many dozens to go. And then we're just sort of kind of cranking those out as they go. But these, it's surprisingly difficult to research this, and I tried to make a description of that so people understand what you have to go through in order to get the story of somebody. 80 years and not all that much information to begin with and right. so it's you know it's tough. Um, I'm supposed to get a visit from this man's brother uh, next week. I'm really excited oh, about cool. that. So. <laughs> yeah. so and then finally the um, we kept a, a separate exhibit for the Vietnam War. Okay. And so most of the veterans that are coming to visit us now are veterans of this war. And so we try to uh, make sure that this war is represented um, not only with artifacts, but we've got the five county residents who were killed in that war. And uh, so, and, and this one is uh, really interesting. We've got some cool things in this exhibit. And I had to learn what they were when I was doing the, the uh, archiving of them. So... Um, Shark yeah. repellent. Yes, I know. Isn't that cool? A container of shark repellent. <laughs> I did not know there was such a thing. I didn't either. <laughs> and an emergency beacon, a tank periscope, sea ration toilet paper. Boy, you had to be uh, pretty thrifty on that one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking, it's a, it's a little packet that's an uh, inch and a half long and uh, three quarters of an inch uh, wide and probably a total of... A half inch thick, and I don't know how they wadded the toilet paper up to get it there, but boy, you better be. You look like you could fit two of those in a pack of cigarettes. 
That's how small that is. At least two, yeah. maybe <laughs> even three or four. <laughs> now, some of this stuff came from a, um, a local donor. Um, it was uh, medical supplies taken off of a dead Vietcom, uh, excuse me, a, an NVA medic. Okay. And so it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah, like, you've got a penicillin vial from North Korea and mercurochrome, some bandages, sulfamorazine, <laughs> ample, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, all in the little original bottles. And yeah, yeah. Wow. And then again, you have another one of the uh, old memorial crosses or right, whatever right. with a M16. Uh, with the barrel in the sand and a couple pairs of boots and the helmet on top and the dog tag wrapped around with the flag in back. This was just donated. POW, the, uh, POW bracelet. bracelet. Yeah, so we wanted to put out. Explain that one. Well, this was a, I don't know if you remember, um, that people wore bracelets that had the right. names of people, uh, okay. of men who hadn't come home. And uh, this woman, her father was in the Air Force and he was in Vietnam, but she wore his bracelet to the end of the war and he was never found and they declared him dead in 1978. So she donated the bracelet and we went ahead and looked up his story so that we could add that to display. And this is just sort of a summary of, uh, okay. from the, the person, one of the persons who came up with the idea and started that um, POW and MIA bracelet program. Okay. Um, but I remember people wearing those when I was in school uh, and how important that was to them. We had a lot of military in our area. For some reason, I don't remember uh -huh. those, but that doesn't mean anything. <laughs> You've also got a Vietnam driver's license issued to uh, Jackie Sisk on Anderson Air Force Base in Guam and death cards. They were placed on the bodies of Viet Cong soldiers killed by American forces. Translation, death awaits Viet Cong comrades and soldiers. Return or die. And it's got the ace of spades with skull and bones in it. That is cool. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's pretty neat. And then several different books on edible and poison oats and medicinal fruits of Central America. A prayer book. A couple of military handbooks. And then just a lot of a lot of cool little things here. This museum's really really nice. Oh, thank you. Well, modern museums have cut back on on exhibits and put up more educational things with right. you know fancy panels and multimedia. But those things are really expensive, <laughs> and we don't really have much of a budget. So our best way to exhibit I is to put everything this. out. Yeah, I, would, I would much rather see what you've got than, <laughs> than a bunch of pictures that are exhibits. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is just I've, really, really nice. I've got to show you that flag. Um, okay. This was just donated last month. These are two Marines, one from St. Petersburg, one from Quincy. And they ended up in the same Marine Corps division and when they were on Tarawa, they captured this flag. Okay. And he held it, and then his godson um, inherited it. He actually would contact him from time to time and say, you want this flag? And he'd go, no, I don't want the flag. And so um, the godson donated the flag and the portraits and the information about how that flag was taken um, 
to the museum just last month. So wow. That's pretty cool. And Terrell was an island in the, in the in Pacific. The Pacific. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the North Pacific, if I remember right, in the yeah, Micronesia it's, Islands. It's in the, yeah, and these two uh, Marines went on to fight at Okinawa, so that's okay. why they're included why in they're, this. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Pretty neat, huh? So this is just really, really awesome. Thank I you. so appreciate you taking your time, oh, especially sure. on such short notice. <laughs> this is this is really rough for me because I've got places that museums that are on my list, and I I'm able to set up, and then there's places that I just drive by and I see and I go, oh, I wonder if I can get somebody to to talk with me, yeah. and sometimes I get really lucky and spur <laughs> the moment, and it and it works, and like I said, I so appreciate you taking us through this museum. It is really, really cool. Well, thank you. Please come see us. Oh, please come see this. It's, it's well worth the time. And the cost is so prohibitive. I mean, she's all of free. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a cool lighthouse just down the way. And, um, and we have a history museum in town, too. So, and this uh, is really a cool part of Florida. We're, mm -hmm. we're driving kind of between Pensacola and, and uh, where else? It's kind I'll of just to. in that little... Well, Tallahassee's to the north, but right. if you follow on the coastline, you're just kind of down here on the bottom, mm -hmm. and they call it the Forgotten... Forgotten Coast. The Forgotten Coast, and, and there's a bunch of small towns, and, and it's kind of a fun little area. We have one traffic light in the whole county. Really? One. One. Yeah. Okay. It's on the west side. <laughs> we don't have to drive through it. <laughs> I haven't seen it yet. I was going to say, I haven't seen any, and, and the roads are, are really decent. Yeah. I mean, this mm -hmm. is a nice, a really nice mm -hmm. area. If I was coming to Florida for an extended vacation, this is where I'd come as far wow. as what I've seen so far. This is beautiful. I'd rather be here than Daytona well, or Tampa. Or Miami. Or, or Miami. Or, yeah. yeah. No, mm -hmm. this is very small town feel and, and very nice. <laughs> so anyway, I finish out my podcast by Thank saying you. the world is full of wonder. People need to get out and explore. There's so much to see, so mm. much to do. And everybody have a wonder-filled day. All the rolling go, where am I to go? Meet Johnny, where am I to go? For I'm a young and a sailor lad, and where am I to go?